0: Matthew 28, 16 through 20 in the English Standard Version, page 926, the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are two types of people in this world people who share their food and people who don't. I've come to the conclusion that pastors are no exception to this rule. The four of us who pastor here at Boulder Church fall equally under these two categories. Anytime the four of us have a meal together or there's food anywhere in close proximity, it's pretty easy to tell who is who. Jay fit and myself are pretty communal about our food. We'll order different dishes and share off each other's plates. This leaves David and Eliah. These two own the motto, there is no we in food. David, you see, is a self-proclaimed germaphobe and tells us that that is why he will not share with us. While Eliah, well, let's take this to an elementary school math problem. Eliah has 10 cakes and someone asks him for one. How many cakes does he have left? Ten. Ten. (laughs) That's right. He makes it very clear that Aliyah doesn't share food. What's on his plate is not up for grabs, and if you get close, you could lose a finger. It's become a running joke that these two don't share food, but there have been a few rare exceptions. Days when the moon is blue and the birds look slightly like pigs, These few and far-between occasions usually only happen over dessert. One of them will take a bite, and you just know their taste buds are throwing the party of the century. Immediately following that bite, mouth still full, we're able to decipher the almost never-spoken words of, you guys have to try this. When it's David, we all have to get a new fork. I maybe haven't emphasized how much these two don't share food, but when they give you something off their plate, you know it's gonna be better than amazing. The way we often feel about heavenly desserts is the way that we need to feel about Jesus. My two little cousins were up front for a children's story one day, and this idea of sharing good things was presented to them. The question was asked if you have something that is just so good Do you keep it to yourself, or do you share it with others? Immediately, my cousin Yasmin blurts out, keep it to yourself, to which the entire congregation laughed and thought it was funny, and my aunt sunk deeper into her seat, completely mortified. You see, discipleship is easy to do when the food is just so good. And unlike delicious but small desserts that can disappear within minutes, True followers know that this is the kind of food that is always being replenished. They aren't worried to share what's on their plate because they know the kitchen's always open. Real disciples know that their Jesus can turn a small lunch into a feast. We've all heard of seeing the cup half empty or half full, but what we often miss is that the cup is refillable. Every day, I am reminded of my own need to be discipled and to disciple others. Instead of rationing my half-empty or half-full cup of water or having my cake and eating it too, when I experience something that is just so good, I can't help but to share it with others. So what happened to discipleship? I think it's safe to assume that our church puts a deep value on discipleship because Jesus put a deep value on discipleship. In the Gospels, we see Jesus constantly immersed in discipling. His last words to those in his close circle of disciples go a little something like this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you, and remember... I am with you always until the end of the age. The term discipleship is not underused in the Gospels and it is not underused today in our church. If you were to look up discipleship on the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventist website, you would find some of these titles. Inter-America's Public Campus Ministries launches strategic plan focused on discipleship and missions. In Southern Africa, Adventist evangelist focuses on discipleship. In the South Pacific, discipleship is the key to supporting Adventist membership. World church, evangelism, and discipleship linked in new document. The list goes on and on. Although the term discipleship is a regular part of our vocabulary as a noun, It does not seem to play an active part in our daily lives as a verb. Instead, we have watered down discipleship from its original form. We have sought after a microwavable discipleship rather than taking the time and effort of a good home-cooked meal. We think we can throw churches in a microwave, hit a Revelation seminar button, wait a few minutes, and voila, our church was active in discipleship for a week. We use programs, seminars, and even our worship services as discipleship tools, neglecting the fact that there isn't substance in mass discipleship. It is often easy to get caught up on numbers rather than individuals. We equivalent adding names to our databases as success. I believe somewhere along the line, we have confused discipleship with membership. We stress about write about, pray about, and wholeheartedly cry about the young people who are leaving our church when we don't even know their names and let alone their stories. We are losing our young people simply because we fail to disciple them. It breaks my heart when I hear of peers who did not have discipling mentors in their lives. It wasn't until 17 years of me being an Adventist, my senior year in academy, I was personally discipled. If it wasn't for my Bible teacher at the time and now good friend Jennifer Woody who took an interest in a sassy senior like myself, I think I would have followed the masses of my peers in apathetic religion and been dragged out with the waves. This is by no means an excuse for young people who are leaving the church, but rather this is a call for all generations to not let this vicious cycle continue any longer. It's been assumed that because someone grew up in the church, we can check them off our list. But when the rubber hits the road and being a part of the church becomes an option rather than an expectation, both older and younger generations alike are coming up short with options to stay. There are always exceptions, but I truly believe we wouldn't have this huge exile of young adults leaving the church if our discipleship followed the true model of Jesus, rather than this disconnected, fast-track model that we've set up. The church is not the only place that struggles with this idea of discipleship. Our world also struggles by creating their own version that we like to call mentorship. You see, mentorship grasps some of these ideas that the church doesn't such as individual and personal relationship and care on the individual level. But it does lack one thing, the one sole ingredient of true discipleship, which is Jesus. We forget that it's more than preaching and teaching Jesus, but it's also about making disciples. In Jesus's last words to his disciples, he didn't say, yeah, just go teach everybody about me. But rather, he separates discipling from baptizing, and from teaching. The three are not synonymous, but rather three individual things. He tells the disciples, in this order, mind you, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. I'll try not to get started and amped up on the order of these things and how messed up they've become. We become comfortable teaching and then baptizing but we're uncomfortable with that first step of discipling. We build pop-up houses with no real foundation, our discipleship becomes hands-off, and we would rather preach from a pulpit, host events, and refer to books and Bible study lessons rather than invest our own time and energy in individual people's lives. So why is that? I don't believe we aren't discipling simply because we don't care but rather as individuals, we have not been discipled ourselves. We don't share simply because we have yet to see just how good it is. You cannot teach what you do not know, and you cannot give someone what you do not have. So I want to ask you all a simple question today that goes more than a few layers deep. Do you feel that you have been discipled? Could it be that our church has lost the art of discipling and we are just now seeing the mass effects and understanding the gravity of this situation? Discipleship is hands-on work. It's about building relationships. It isn't a system that you can set up and let run itself. If it was, Jesus would have been able to come here, set up the system, leave and all would have been fine. But rather, he taught his disciples and showed them what relationships are supposed to look like. He spent time with them. He traveled with them. He ate with them. He worshiped with them. And he left them in the care and the relationship of the Holy Spirit. And he commanded them to continue to make those relationships in the world around them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Here's the thing, my friends. We have talked enough about discipleship. We have strategized and organized and evangelized enough. It is now time to rewrite our vows to our faith, to Christianity, and to Jesus. It's time to stop discipling at arm's length or waiting and depending on others to do it for us. If we are not discipling, We are faking our Christianity. It is unacceptable to claim the name Christian, but to take no part in Christ's active ministry in 2016. It is unacceptable that my barista knows my drink order, but doesn't know my Jesus. It is unacceptable that our workout buddies, coworkers, friends, and maybe even our families have not been discipled by us. Excuses are no longer valid. Jesus called fishermen and tax collectors. He called those who had been withheld the call of a rabbi at the time to be a disciple, and he told them to spread the early church like wildfire. And today he calls us nurses, teachers, bank tellers, software engineers, and pastors alike to do the same. The call of discipleship is not just for one, but for all. We all have a circle much like Jesus, and if we choose not to influence it, well, that is simply unacceptable. You remember Jesus discipled 12 and then closely discipled three. He had a close circle, people he ate with, worked with, traveled with, laughed with, those he interacted with on a regular basis. Ronald Reagan said, we can't help everyone but everyone can help someone. And so today I'm telling you guys, you can't disciple everyone, but you can disciple someone. How would our church look differently if each of us were to disciple just one person that we knew? If we genuinely believe in a God who created this universe and who created you and me and created our friend and our mailman and our boss, then you believe that everyone is searching to know and have a relationship with the Father that they may have just not yet met. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. To know God, to know Jesus, and to know one another. Jesus' ministry focus on this earth was not to create religion, but to create relationships, to mend our spiritual family back together. Now, don't get me wrong. There are wonderful things that take place in the organization of church structure, but without relationships, without discipleship, our church is just another business. I'm going to say that one more time for you. Without discipleship, our church is just another business. Without discipleship, our tithe is just a balanced or unbalanced budget. Without discipleships, Our divisions, unions, conferences, and local churches alike just create a pyramid scheme. Without discipleship, our members just become numbers on a database. But with discipleship, our church becomes the active body of Christ in our hurting world. With discipleship, our tithe is seen and used as a tool for ministry. With discipleship, our church's structure works side by side in harmony to further the work of Jesus to disciple all people. And with discipleship, members are valued as pieces of the image of God. You see, discipleship changes things. It is the key ingredient for our church, and it can no longer be seen as anything but. If discipleship is not an active ingredient in our ministry, And if it it is not relational and hands-on, we are setting our churches up for failure. Discipleship doesn't happen on a union level or a conference level or even a local church level. It happens on an individual level. It happens on your level and my level in our individual lives, in our personal ministries. Discipleship needs to be an active ministry in your circle. So who is your circle? I really hope right now your minds are starting to turn and you're thinking of people who are part of your everyday life. People you eat with, work with, and spend most of your time with. Are you enhancing and discipling that circle? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall it become salty again? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. In discipling, Jesus calls us to be salt, to enhance the food, and light to enhance sight. Despite the pain and horrors of this world that we see, God is still at work. And we are called to enhance that good that he is still at work in. To enhance the circumference that is around us. Those people who you're thinking about, are you speaking Jesus into their lives? Are you taking your time and your energy to disciple them and to care for them on a spiritual, individual level? This is a difficult question because discipleship is not a noun, it's a verb. Christianity is not a noun, it's a verb. If you are hoping to find a religion that consists of two hours on a Saturday morning, well get out now because this Jesus that we serve here is an active God. He is an active creator and he created us in his active image. Unfortunately, most of our events take place during Saturday and we can use Sabbath to be active Christians and then go back to a pacifist six-day lifestyle the rest of the week. We were never called to be passive Christians who sit in pews, add numbers to our databases, and cross our fingers that our kids don't leave when they turn 18. We are called to be spirit-filled, fired up followers of Christ who do not let one opportunity pass to share the love and power of Jesus in our lives. For some of us, the challenge might be taking a step out of our comfort zone. It might be to step past our self-proclaimed germaphobe diagnosis and share what's on our plate. It might seem uncomfortable or unnatural at first, but when you have something that's just so good, you don't want to keep it all to yourself. For others, the challenge might be actually trying what's on your plate. How many of you have tried Nutella? Okay, good. Dina reminded me this week that almost all my sermons have some kind of reference to Nutella. So you can tell I love it. But I want to share with you my first experience with Nutella. When I was a kid, we always had it in the house. And I was so reluctant to try it. My mom would always put it on her toast, and she would offer it to me, and I would always say no and feel really confident with my answer that I wasn't missing out on this ooey-gooey brown mystery substance. It just seemed gross to me. But one day, I was feeling brave, and I took my pinky finger and dipped the littlest part of it in the jar and tried it. My mom calls this the Jessica Taste Test, because I still do it today with new food, just to test the waters. And when the Nutella hit my taste buds, a flashback of all the times I had turned it down flooded my mind. An instant regret set in. So to make up for lost time, I grabbed a spoon and ate an entire spoonful of Nutella. (laughs) Maybe you haven't tried discipleship yet. Maybe you haven't tried church yet. Maybe you just haven't even tried Jesus yet. I encourage you to put away your little pinky fingers and to grab a spoon, and to grab a few spoons for your family, your friends, your colleagues, your circle to enjoy with you. Now, I don't want you to think I'm naive. Discipleship is not always a spoonful of Nutella. Sometimes it comes with a side of broccoli, cauliflower. Sometimes it can be hard to chew, and sometimes it doesn't always look really appealing. You think of Jesus straightforwardly telling his disciples, son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Doesn't sound so appealing to me. But the reward of discipleship for them left them fed and well-nourished, both physically and spiritually. It's time to start being fed and to feed others. Eating is a daily part of our lives, and Jesus loves to use symbols that we can relate to. He said, I am the bread of life. A reminder that we need him every day you see our Jesus isn't just a once-a-week kind of Jesus he is interested and invested in you as a person and in the life you live every single day being a genuine follower of Jesus means that he is active in all parts of your life and it shows He enriches our lives, comforts us, challenges us, and reminds us to focus on the good that he is still at work in. To be a disciple of Jesus, we must first taste and see that the Lord is good. We are called to take part in this banquet feast that Jesus has prepared for us and to remind others that it's for them too. It's time to do our part, to not be satisfied with microwavable, mass production discipleship, but to individually accept this call to disciple, baptize, and teach the people in our circle, and not stand to wait one more second to let someone else do it for us. Edward Everett Hale said, I'm only one, but still I am one. I can't do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse the something that I can do. I realize that there are two different types of people in this world when it comes to sharing food. But there needs to be only one type of Christian in this world when it comes to discipleship. So disciple and be discipled. Go. Be. Make. Because it's just too good not to share.